to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Welcome to the B-Sides podcast and more specifically the final episode of season two of the B-Sides podcast. Hannah wow. and Becky, how do you feel? We made it through yet another year. We did it. We did it. We're about to have did it. Yeah. We did it, Joe, coming in about 55 minutes. We did well, it, more, more realistically, you know, longer than that, given our, how we usually go. Right. We did it, Joe, in the sense that we started this season in October 2020, shortly before the election, and we're finishing it in December 2021. That's a long run as Joe continues to do nothing, you know, we I feel real. I feel like we did a really good job. Like, I think oh, we did Joe's really actually busy. I'm sorry. He's making TikToks with the Jonas Brothers. Yeah. Joe has not done a good job, but we have. It's funny you say that period. because because <laughs> I was actually going to open this episode by asking you both, like, if you had the reach and resources that only the federal government can marshal at this moment of crisis as yeah. we record December 18th, 2021, would you pay people to stay home, send them masks and free tests, cancel student debt like you promised, or, or do you make TikToks with the Jonas Brothers? Bing bong. <laughs> Becky chooses option D. Becky for president. Yeah. yeah. It's really all. Did you, I don't know if you saw that TikTok, but in all the comments I was scrolling, everyone was like, cancel my student loan debt, Joe. Yeah. Like, that's like yeah. all the comments. It's also like, it'd be one thing if that TikTok actually helped anyone in any way, even though like Olivia's, help. like Olivia's right. content. Yeah. Even if it doesn't help in the other ways that we enumerated that the federal government could do right now. But who on earth like doesn't get vaccinated and then watches that TikTok and is like, you know what? Now's the time. It's it's now because of this. I think Olivia Rodrigo's stint as our vaccines are was actually one of the most um, like heartening and well, uh, well used um, moment of uh, federal government ing governing of the Biden administration so far. I agree. It was one step forward, not three steps back. Mm hmm. <laughs> Great point. Uh, and each Jonas brother is a step. Yes, a step back. I was shocked to learn they were vaccinated. Call me crazy. But really? <laughs> Kevin, I feel like could could be like more Republican. I also don't know that they've proven to us that they are vaccinated, although I suppose that would, would have be to be quite the scandal if then it turns out they're not vaccinated. Yeah. I'll go look at the blind items and see what we can dredge up speaking of the Jonas brothers uh-huh they give me very 2009-2008 feels and also in Yo. 2021 Hannah and I went to a Jonas brothers concert and that was very 2008-2009 feels 
I was like looking at that TikTok of Biden and the Jonas Brothers. I was like, look at these four people who all should have stayed in in some ways back where they were most popular, a.k.a. in 2008. Yes. Like that was their peak. That was their shared peak. And some of them maybe should have stayed there. Yeah. yeah. One out of four, at least for sure. And yet. And yet. Well, and yeah, I I think what we'll talk about today is that so many people can't seem to stay in 2009. Oh my God, it's really relevant. It's true. They cannot. So as we get into this episode, we're going to say what we always say, which is please subscribe if you haven't already. It makes it easier to keep up with us, even as we... Actually, maybe more so, we're going to be less predictable right now because we yeah. can put out random content when there's an emergency and right. you wouldn't know. Um, like we're well, not coming out in two Wednesdays, but maybe in a bunch of Wednesdays, like you don't know. So you should subscribe to find out. Right. Maybe on a Monday. <laughs> Ooh. What about that? Wow. Um, we'll also be doing some content on Patreon. Maybe like a little less organized content, a little spicier content, something like that. Um, So keep an eye out for that. Find us on Patreon if that sounds appealing to you. And you can also find us on a number of other platforms such as Discord, the Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter. We love it there. All right. Well, no one else sing song, singing their songs. But... Are we supposed to sing a song? No, it's okay. Um, fine, whatever. But Instagram, we're very, we're honestly the definitely. most popular platform is there, so you should definitely be following us there. You can also find us on listen to the bsides.com. and you can email us listen to the bsides at gmail.com. Tell us all your thoughts. And Especially most- if you have ideas about what you'd want, like an emergency episode about. That's a great, great email. Yes. And take that emergency episode, which we'll probably only put on our Patreon account. So please find us there. We love all kinds of support, but we especially love our Patreon support. Mm-hmm. Lots of ways to connect. I feel like a lot of times um, people on the internet like to call their they like to say that they have like a community and I'm like, no, you have Instagram followers that DM you that you never DM back. That's not a community. And I always roll my eyes because we are really like, we try to be an internet home for progressives who love pop. That's why we say that there's all the different ways, wherever you are, we will be too. Can't wait to connect with you on the off season. Truly, truly. And, um, you know, I didn't sing my part here because I heard on the news today that now is a particularly dangerous time for singing, which is, you know, a ridiculous thought in normal times, but here we are. So let's get into this episode. (laughs) Um, Let me explain the title. It's a good place to start. The title of this episode has a double meaning. The first is, so in, in history, in the field, we talk about quote unquote, long centuries as a thematic framework, like the long 19th century, which refers to approximately the 1780s up to the 1910s, because the progression of events and ideas that dominate that time, like don't begin cleanly in 1800 and end in 1900. 
Similarly here, I'm including some adjacent months in the long 2009 because no year exists in a vacuum. And the less complicated meaning of this maybe is the impact of this short era has truly reached into the present. So it's long in that way as well. Okay, so why don't we start, even though we just started, why don't we start with a palate cleanser and each give an example of live music that we saw in 2009. Um, I know for a fact, I don't remember what else I saw, but I know that I saw two iconic concerts. I don't remember in what order. One was the Jonas Brothers tour, that the one that was like, Oh, was just so amazing that they came out with the Jonas Brothers 3D concert experience, the movie after the fact. And Demi was the opener. And I think that was the uh, concert tour that Taylor Swift joined and sang should have said no at some point as well. Um, but Demi was the opener and they did such a good opening set. And then they came back and did um, a camp rock song with Joe Jonas. And I literally was like sobbing. And I was so happy, really one of the happiest days. And then I also saw, of course, Demi Lovato's headlining tour that same year with David Archuleta as the opener. So that's a good 2009 throwback. If I went to live music that year, I don't remember it. I think I saw a lot of Broadway shows, but I don't remember any live music that I saw. I might have seen John Mayer, but that might have been 2008. 2008 counts. Okay. As part of the long 2009. Let's let it count. Yeah. Pretty sure I saw a John Mayer and he was amazing. I went to some shows and the one that I remember most clearly is the Q102 Q concert in Philadelphia, Q102 being the top 40 radio station. And there were nine acts. It was like an all day thing. And I just looked it up um, before we started recording so I could remember all of them because I did not. So it was the Veronica's, the Ting Ting's, the All-American Rejects, Jesse McCartney, Sierra, Asher Roth, 303, The Black Eyed Peas, and Flo Rida doing right round twice in a row. And weirdly, Sean Paul, like between acts when no one was paying attention, which I thought was very sad, but I think he's he's doing better now. And I feel like I've talked about that before. That like lives, I think about that <laughs> a fair amount. It's a good time, you know? It's a pre-smartphone time. So, you know, I think part of the reason why, how this episode came about is that I think probably for you guys as well, but, you know, I just feel like this was a big year in my life. It's the year I started workshopping the concept of the post 9-11 cultural void, which maybe should extend further. And maybe it was a big year for everyone who lived through it. And I wanted to know, like, is this real or is it just my lens as a millennial who was 17 or 18 at the time, which doesn't make it less real, but would make it less universal. So we did a vibe check in the discord and here are a few takes from, from uh, those of you who responded. Yeah. Brett said he doesn't feel much weight from that error in part because he was wrapped up in in projecting that he only listened to hard rock music until the fame monster became a gateway to embracing pure pop. He said, now I judge younger me for being so dismissive of a lot of popular music, sad face. And I'm grumpy and I'm a grumpy old man at heart. My favorite band was Guns N' Roses, LOL, smiley face. Were the smiley faces and frowny faces are editorializing of Brett's journey? They were. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love Guns N' Roses. Brett, I'm with you. I, I found a, a Greatest Hits CD recently and uh, was really happy about that. Oh, beautiful. Love that journey for you, Brett. Um, so Maggie and Liz noted a very important take that, of course, we have to get out right away in, a, in an episode like this, that music you listen to at this time in your life is formative, whether it happens to be 2009 or not, which of course is true. Um, Maggie said it's because it's what you have supporting you through super formative years when you first really start figuring out what it means to be a human. And Liz said the hits on the radio when you first get your driver's license, you got your driver's license, might always be special. For me, this was spring, summer 2009 with Halo, Beyonce, You Belong With Me, Taylor, Just Dance, Lady Gaga, Fire Burning, Sean Sean Kingston, lots of T-Pain, and please do not forget Jai Ho and the Pussycat Dolls. Absolutely, Liz. Uh, Love picturing you driving around just like really singing Fire Burning on the dance floor and feeling great about it. Yeah. And we will not forget Jai Ho and we may return to it later. Um, Some of you also said that it's because DJ Earworm 09 was so good that year that it feels very special in retrospect. And that remains objectively true. So (laughs) Becky or Hannah, will one of you please recite this direct quote from Erin on Discord quoting DJ Earworm 09 before we talk about it more. Blame it on the pop, blame it on the dance, blame it on the rock and roll, blame it on the oh, rock and blame it on the rock and electronic club beats. I don't think that's <laughs> blame it on the hip hop music, the future flow. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's Erin quoting DJ Earworm, so it may, there may have been some like artistic liberties taken. I'm not sure. But blame it on the it. rock and electronic yeah. Uh, beats. <laughs> so all to say, uh, let's talk about DJ Earworm a little more. DJ Earworm is a guy who makes mashups of the top 25 billboard hits of the year. And he started doing this in 2007. And the best one of all time, like we're saying, is the United State of Pop 2009, a.k.a. Blame It on the Pop. There was like a retrospective column of this in 2019 that said, though 2009 was full of top of the line popular music, the virality of Blame It on the Pop is about more than good songs being squished together. And it's about more than Roseman's, that's DJ Earworm, ear for sound mixing. The whole mashup is greater than the sum of its parts because it carries the weight of a decade on its back while still alluding to pop hits yet to come, which I thought was a great way to sum it up and validate what this year is. So in a recent episode, Hannah did a Mad Lib and I thought that was fun. And so I wanted to do that with one more DJ earworm quote. Here's another one about Blame It on the Pop. It, 2009, was made right after all the blank two words as fate would have it the message that sprung out of it all was that we can get through this and move ahead even if we've been pushed down even the underlying chorus of down was said so blank one word in the various songs it practically built itself so does anyone have any thoughts on 2009 dj earworm it was made right after all the what Great recession things, recession-y things, or 
the Kanye West of it all. Yeah, Come or over. Obama's election. That's all that's all great. So the answer to that one is economic turmoil, which is somewhere oh, in yeah. between. Economic and, turmoil. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a it's it's a way to it's one way to put it. Um, and then the chorus of down was said so what? Repeatedly. Or often. All, constantly. Wouldn't yeah. stop. <laughs> Just kidding. It's one word. I mean, that's basically it. It was, yeah, it was repeatedly. Nice. Great. Yeah. All these songs were about like, when you're down, you get back up. Down like the economy, etc. She gets down all over me. I saw a really funny video that had resurfaced yesterday that was Taylor Swift in it must have been 08 or 09 um, being interviewed about her line of affordable sundresses at Walmart and she's like you know there is a lot she's like everything with all the you know economics is really is really tough right now so but people really need sundresses. So, and it's like, she's, she's just trying to promote her sundress line, which is fine. She's a star. She's allowed to, but she's like, no, the economy is tough. So like, here's my $14 yellow sundress from Walmart. I'm sure that's, that spoke to a lot of people. Yeah. This, this mashup is really amazing. I do think a lot of people that listen to this podcast have also listened to it, but if you haven't, Listen to it and watch it on YouTube because it's just a joy. I watched it again last night and I just was dancing the whole time. It's just a total joy. The songs are amazing. And yeah, it comes together very well with all the down, 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 down. And the way that like Halo, Beyonce's Halo and Miley's The Climb come together in the bridge. Unbelievable. Wow. That is like a transcendent moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think... So I want to take that and also take the idea that like it was our ages at the time that made this special and accept those while also still trying to prove that this on its own was like an objectively uh, important time. So this episode is basically an expose on I'm so 3008, you're so 2000 and late from one of the most popular songs of the time by the Black Eyed Peas. Because the long 2009 was a short span of time with a long-standing impact. So let's get into it a little more. A prime example of that, let's talk about the sound of pop music. If there was a Big Bang to start this era, I would argue it began with the release of Britney's Blackout in October 2007, which was, I believe, critically panned at the time and is now critically acclaimed for what it's done and the direction it's taken pop music. So disco, electropop, house music that harken back to the 70s and 80s, this like futuristic auto-tune that set pop music on a new path into the 2010s. Started there, in a way. Some examples. I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas, Fire Burning by Sean Kingston, Just Dance by Lady Gaga, What You Say by Jason Derulo, Right Round by Flo Rida, TikTok by Kesha, Down by Jay Sean, Break Your Heart by Tao Cruz. This is a time in pop music that was, it was fun, it was brash, it was soaring, and it was loud. And the Great Recession was happening, and it was bad. 
but many people were still riding this high of hope they found in, you know, Barack Obama's election and his very new administration, which was also bad in the end. But, you know, you can call it joy. You can call it escapism, but you will, you will call it loud. I think offline recently we were talking about like the sound and are, are, I'm curious what you both think in terms of are the songs coming back and is the sound coming back? I would like to amend when I said I didn't see live music in 2009, I realized I saw Circus, the Britney Spears tour, and I got food poisoning. So I remember more of the food poisoning than I do of the tour, but I, I did see her. And that is very loud. Circus was very loud and very in your face and very fun. I do think, I mean, I do think the sounds, um, the songs are coming back for sure in a way that I think is probably pretty typical of this, like, you know, there, what is this, like an 11, 12 year cycle um, of like nostalgia, which is not super surprising. Um, but I do think I'm excited about it because, yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of times not to ever pit them against each other ever. But I like to think about Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish as like two Gen Z pop, you know, up and comers. And I think that Olivia Rodrigo, many people talk about why millennials love Olivia Rodrigo. We've talked about it in our Olivia Rodrigo episode. But, you know, she brought back a sound of a 2010 Paramore vibe um, and just other kinds of songs and sounds that feel really different than the Billie Eilish understated form of Gen Z music, which is a very awesome and valid form. But I think another, you know, memories I have from this time, which I'm sure high schoolers in any time create these memories, but like, I, I really have these, these memories of listening to these songs very loudly with a lot of people who would like never have chosen to listen to them necessarily, but like, we're loving them. There was this like communal aspect to a, to just like a big pop song like that. And I don't see that in my head. I'm sure if a Gen Z is listening, they can tell us more. But like, that's harder to imagine with a lot of the Billie Eilish songs, like playing in a car and everyone just like losing their minds the way it was with like Bad Romance, you know, which is actually not 2009, but it's certainly part of the long 2009. And Becky, you said that the 2009 songs are all coming back on Peloton, right? As like a nostalgia thing. I don't even know what's a nostalgia thing. I think it's because the beats are really good for cycling electro like, beats or whatever yeah like it's less so maybe nostalgia because a lot of the instructors are like around our age ish if not a little bit older but I just think like dynamite for example is like the beat on that song is is so good boom boom pow by the black eyed peas like they're really good songs to work out to can and we read Jai this Ho by the pussycat dolls oh yeah is that on your on the on your rides Yes. So not, so the one that's by the pussycat dolls, not the original one. Yes. I, I mean, that's a, that really is a song. It's really a song. And it really also the pussycat dolls version, I think spelled the end of the pussycat dolls because it, it was them featuring Nicole Scherzinger, which is like the break between them. But anyway, the chorus of that song is fun and it's random that they took that from Slumdog Millionaire and we're like, okay. We're going to do this now. Hannah, you potentially sleuthed a little bit and found something on the internet. Do you want to share it with us? Yes. Um, 
there was a great thing that I think started on Tumblr and ended up going around the internet um, by a user whose name I'll cite because citing is important, but I wish I didn't have to because this name is ridiculous. Um, by user Thor Titties, <laughs> um, Thor Titties writes, people who actually got to party to the songs that came out in 2009, 2010 are so lucky. Too bad I was 11. Like, imagine pulling up to a house party and hearing Dynamite by Tayo Cruz blasting. I'd lose my fucking mind. Thor Titties, I have to tell you, it was fucking incredible. It was amazing. Dynamite by Tayo Cruz will go down as one of the best songs to just bounce your little butt to forever. Right Round was like actually my favorite song, like in a way that I would tell people this is my favorite song. <laughs> like, I think I've said that on this show before. Yeah, it was a great time to go to like, you know, the three house parties I went to in high school or whatever that was. It was amazing. It really was. Or like, yeah, I I don't have to imagine that because I was there in my first semester of college in the basement of like a beer soaked frat house. And the first few bars of Party in the USA came on and everyone lost their minds every time. It happened all all fall. I like no, and this is where I think we get into the this the tension of this episode. I know objectively that there are many songs like that that exist right now for the freshmen in college. Like I know that there's songs that are making people scream, like, wow, this is amazing. Thank God we're here. But I actually think there's like, I think a lot of those songs that create that collective moment right now are old songs. I don't think that they are as many as as we had access to at the time because of, you know, what we'll talk about in this, in this episode, which is like, you know, what the zeitgeist entailed and how it could collectivize certain moments that is not possible anymore. Totally. I think like one exercise towards this, what you're talking about is recalling artists, songs, moments that were in the zeitgeist, but short-lived can be a helpful way to remember some of the specific, the specifics of that era. And we've already started to do that a little bit, but Hannah, would you please tell us some one hit wonders or rising stars or something like that of 2009 who faded quickly? Um, yes, I will. And I do think some of the examples I'm going to share, I think were um, actually released in 2008, but I still think they, as you mentioned, like, you know, time, I, I mean, we're at the end of a year right now and like time doesn't just like start January one and like end December 31st. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I think that one hit wonders always have a really big impact on culture and like everybody knows and feels a sort of affinity for the one hit wonders of their generation. And I, I think it's all, it's always interesting that like the one, the, the impact of their songs is often very out of proportion with the impact of them as an artist people might know every word to a certain song and not even know who it's by because the song was so important, but the artist was like, just, you know, didn't have a huge impact. But I think there was something about the one hit wonders of the long 2009 that feel especially impactful. And I'm really curious if other folks agree, but I want to talk about some of our favorites. Um, Untouched by the Veronicas, which I'm so glad you got to see them during this moment, Mimi. I'm so jealous. Um, Sweet Disposition by Temper Trap. I think that's a 2008 release, but associated with 2009. Down by Jay Sean. That that glowing, uh, you know, suit jacket 
and he was opening each side and then it was like glowing in the music video. Break Your Heart by Tayo Cruz and Dynamite by Tayo Cruz are 2010, but Your Honor, they count. I'm submitting them for the record. Um, and Bulletproof by LaRue. These were the ones that I wanted to share. What are what are some associations you have with these one-hit wonders? I associate Sweet Disposition with that 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. So yes, oh, yeah. it feels like a one-hit wonder, but it's so associated to that movie with me that I don't think it's a one-hit wonder. Well, I think what I'm saying is like, even though these are one hit wonders, they had a huge impact. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing, but I'm saying like, yeah. I, if you would told me this other song was by Temper Trap, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh-huh. Yeah, I. this is a great list. Um, I feel like in some ways we knew that Down by Jay Sean was, I mean, he had another song called Do You Remember, but it was nowhere near, it was like, do you remember when I was... The one who wonder two months ago. Um, that song was like my senior year of high school. It was such a joy. And down like the economy, you know, Lil Wayne. Bulletproof also like totally, totally iconic. I feel like that still shows up a lot. Definitely. And I feel like, so this is um, to give a little bit of behind the curtain of how the B-Sides does stuff. Um, I actually already have right now at a few weeks, like loaded up an Instagram post in our Instagram scheduling app. That's about the Veronica's untouched. Cause I just feel like that's like, why is that such a good song? And I feel like people still love it. And it hasn't like, it definitely, you know, has fallen out of like, you know, being a regular rotation song, but I think people, I think people still love it. And I still, I know every word to that song still. I'm like, every once in a while, I'll still listen to it even more than like other songs from this era. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And, and same with, I mean, well, not, not same, very different songs, but like break your heart and dynamite. I, I saw Tayo Cruz in college and we were really excited to see him. Um, and he was not good. But these songs are great. Oh, you know, another one I should have added um, was Replay by Ayaz. Yes. It's like my iPod stuck on replay, replay, a eh, eh, eh. Like my iPod stuck on replay, a eh, eh, eh. That is a yeah. good song. That was a really good song. I think that, I mean, listen, some of these are not, uh, you know, this is a one hit wonder category and I included two hits from Tayo Cruz. So clearly I'm using like pretty, you know, mushy definitions of these things but I do think that was like you know they they had a chokehold they had wait what's the right way of saying that they had us in a chokehold Mm -hmm. they had a large impact on us is what I'm trying to say (laughs) so comparing the 2009 one hit wonders to today's one hit wonders um I feel like the most irrelevant arena to to discuss one hit wonders of today is like tiktok um, like for example, Dance Monkey by Tones and I, um, you know, I actually, it's hard, it's hard to say who's a one hit wonder now. Cause we, we actually don't know, like history will tell us who becomes the one hit wonder. Um, but I, in my opinion, and I'm curious what you all think, both you, Becky, Mimi, and also the listeners, I think even the one hit wonders of the long 2009 were more impactful than some of the work of the biggest stars of today. Like Ariana Grande, who's one of the biggest stars of all time, whose songs are all over like top 40. I think that like Down by Jay Sean had a bigger impact than 3435. That's like an unscientific take. 
But yeah, that's what I have to say about One Hit Wonders. I think that's right. Also unscientific, but I think I think we've got some some reasons to back it up, which we'll continue to talk about. Um, and that begins with a game that we're going to play, a, a game intermission, a new segment, a one-time segment called now that's what I call music question mark 2009 this is so when we were doing research for this episode I learned that like this is the last time that the now that's what I call music compilations went platinum they were everywhere they you know had the top hits of the day they had cds that you could uh get at your local Borders or Sam Goody or stores like that. And 2009 was the first time, and I think over a decade since they started, where they stopped going platinum. And that feels meaningful. And I think that I think now that's what I call music like number two in the 90s was one of my first CDs. I don't know about you guys or if you have a relationship to those, but we will play a quick game about now that's what I call music 2009. And by and by a game, I mean a, a multiple choice test. The idea is which of these songs in each grouping that you can't see if you're listening, but is in our Google Doc, which song was not on uh, Now That's What I Call Music 2009. All of these songs are from that era, but there were three CDs that came out. There were three now that's what I call music that came out. It was like 30, 31, and 32, which is not, did not appear on those. So one in in each of these groupings, and I can read them out loud, or um, we can take turns reading them out loud, up to you guys, if you want to discuss before you answer. Let's take turns, and then we can each get a chip. We'll each guess on the one that we do. How about that? Okay, great. Okay. The first one is don't trust me or the fourth, the first grouping is don't trust me by three Oh three exclamation point, whatever you like by TI blame it, blame it. Sorry. Blame it by Jamie Foxx featuring T pain and let it rock by Kevin Rudolph. Also a one hit wonder that song was everywhere. Such a jam. Um, I'm going to go with blame it. That was my guess. Jamie Foxx featuring T pain. Unfortunately, that's incorrect. Oh, Blame no. it was on there. It was whatever you like by Ti. Oh, interesting. Not. Isn't that weird? That is weird because that song was everywhere that song too. Was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I, that song. Yeah, and Let It Rock, of course, was on there. Iconic. Like you said it was everywhere. A great one hit wonder, and really easy to harmonize to, which is great because I find it difficult to do. Okay, grouping number two. What You Say by Jason Derulo, Hotel Room Service by Pitbull, You Somebody by Kings of Leon, and Love Game by Lady Gaga. So I can't, I don't know what Hotel Room Service is. So that's my guess. But also, am I like, is that a song everybody knows? I can't remember it. How does it go? It was a pretty popular song. Why can't, I can't say my brain is just not remembering it. Because it's like one of those Pitbull songs that just kind of like Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> I don't remember it either. Okay. So that's my answer. It's like we were oversaturated with Pitbull songs that we could only take in so many at a time. And that one was the one that we had to let go. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. Like as a survival mechanism. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
But unfortunately, the song that wasn't on there was You Somebody by Kings of Leon. Really? Mm-hmm. Wait, okay. So, so far, are the two ones that weren't on it now, weren't they both in the DJ Earworm? So that tells you that DJ Earworm had more of a finger on the pulse than yeah. now. Or I guess I now so. wasn't just the charts. That's the thing. They had to balance a lot of different... They weren't just like, a, here's what's on the charts and let's give it to you in the mail. It was like, we're trying to balance a lot of different things right now for you. Right. They were like, and this goes when, I mean, the, an undercurrent of this episode is like, we used to have a shared culture and now we don't in the same way. And the now CDs were very much like, how do we appeal to everyone somehow? I think. Um, the next grouping is Mad by Neo, No Surprise by Daughtry, You Belong With Me by Taylor Swift, and Single Ladies by Beyonce. I'm going with No Surprise by Doubt. Uh, actually, I'm going to go with Single Ladies by Beyonce. That is correct. Single Ladies was not nice. on one of the Now albums. Yeah. Daughtry all the way. Big Always. Daughtry year. Yeah. 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 I, that's why I, that's why I rethought about it. Now that's what I call music. I'm gonna let you finish. But single ladies, Beyonce had one of the best music videos and songs of all time. Right. Kanye could have just interrupted the production of Now That's What I Call Music. Yeah. Okay. This is a strong grouping. So this is gonna be hard for me. I got a feeling by the black eyed peas, kiss me through the phone by Soldier Boy Tellem, featuring Sammy, who I don't know who that is, Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus, and Waking Up in Vegas by Katy Perry. I like cannot conceive of a world in which all four of these aren't on them. I like really having a hard time waking up in Vegas. No, it was Kissing through the phone. No. What? Party in the it's, USA? I yeah, party like in the like... USA. Yeah. I think party in what? the USA could have made it onto the third one. It was a little later in the year for okay. like, but it did not. Mm-hmm. Party in the USA is describing the feeling of listening to that. Now that's what I call music. How could they not <laughs> like put their own commercial song? I don't know. I don't know. Next up, these are also hard. Um, Sexy Chick by David Guetta gives you hell by the All American Rejects. Rehab by Rihanna featuring Justin Timberlake. How do you sleep by Jesse McCartney? I'm going with Rehab because I don't remember that song. No, that was there. It's a weird music video too. Sexy Chick. I- Nope, that was on there. How do you was, sleep? Yeah. Okay. Which That's I love. I love that Jesse McCartney era. But no. Nope. So good. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't think this is as strong of a grouping. So this is hard in a different way. Second Chance by Shine Down, If You Seek Amy by Britney Spears. That's not my name by the Ting Tings. And If Today Was Your Last Day by Nickelback. I'm gonna guess if you seek Amy. Nah. I'm I, have I gotten any of them right? I don't think so. No, but it's hard. Okay, but you what's have the answer. It's Second Chance by Shine Down. Okay, well I've never heard of that song. If you heard it, I think you would. I feel like Becky's okay. heard it. Maybe not. I think I would have to hear it. I couldn't I don't recognize the name. Okay. It's very like I'm not sure if it's Christian rock or Christian rock adjacent, but it's in that world. It's in there. Mm-hmm. Well, this next grouping is really hard because every single song here is amazing. We have Crush by David Archuleta, which is a 10 out of 10 song. We have Fire Burning by Sean Kingston. Hate This Part by the Pussycat Dolls and Heartless by Kanye West. I'm going with Fire Burning. 
You're right. That was a quick decision. How did you arrive at that or just instinct? Based on my Beyonce win, I'm realizing that they now is maybe skipping black artists. And it was like, that's like the most popular song in my mind. So making weird decisions. Yes. All right. This is the last one. Hannah, you have one chance to. Hannah, I'm winning. I got two. You're winning by a lot. Um, Halo by Beyonce. Had It All by Catherine McPhee, Battlefield by Jordan Sparks, and Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Oh, Viva La Vida is so good. I want to say Viva La Vida because it was kind of like an old people song and now is trying to reach the young people, but I'm going to go with um, Halo because I don't think they understood its impact. No, I think Becky tricked you because it is Viva You should have gone with Diana. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that maybe they would think it's like too slow or something. And they missed a lot of other DJ earworm moments. So I thought it was, yeah, they did. They did. No, I see that reasoning. Um, But I felt good. I, so I actually don't like Viva La Vida. I know that that's, I know that everyone loves it. And there are a lot of Coldplay songs that I like more, but that was a surprise to me that it wasn't on there as well. All right. So Becky wins, but you know, we're not playing for anything except to learn about the now that's what I call music franchise, which I think we did. We did. I really liked my now music, my now that's what I call musics because I felt like it was all the songs I liked a lot. And then it was always like a sprinkling of songs I didn't know. And I felt like I remember like legitimately feeling connected to, I felt like I was experiencing a party in the USA by listening Mm -hmm. to (laughs) those compilations. I was like, Oh, like this is the zeitgeist. I'm in it now. Yay. Totally. So when we brought this topic to our Discord, some of you, our lovely listeners, basically said, don't you dare talk about 2009 without mentioning Glee, except like a little less threatening than that for the most part. And yes, Glee premiered in 2009. And yes, it even had a short, uh, it even had a a sort of retrospective episode called 2009 in its last season, which I did not watch. And also... Glee shows up a lot in this podcast. So you can listen to our 2020 mini series on Glee, which was three episodes, our more recent episode on feuds that includes the cast and like their stuff. We have a Broadway to Beverly Hills episode, which included a Leah Michelle overview. And we'll probably have more to say on a hot mic someday about Glee. But for today, let's just acknowledge its place in the cultural phenomenon as a cultural phenomenon in the long 2009. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that the pilot was filmed just before the recession hit in 2008. And musically, the show sort of encapsulates this heavy, auto-tone, glassy, yet earnest, loud and hopeful energy that we've been talking about. And it covered old hits and new, added to a growing a trend of song mashups and weirdly brought Journey back into the zeitgeist. The soundtracks appeared and sold like crazy during the very specific transitional time when one appointment TV was still very popular but streaming episodes was also now possible. And two, streaming music was also becoming extremely popular and extremely mainstream. These songs dominated the iTunes charts in a way that actually made it hard to find other music on there for a while, including like original songs too. Yeah, I remembered, I don't think I watched it immediately when the first episode aired. And so I was like, I used to go to iTunes to see what was going on, to see like what the top songs were. And if there was anything I wanted to purchase for 99 cents. And I remember seeing like, why are all of these songs like an icon of slushies or whatever it was that season for the first like, no, they were slushies. Yeah. For the first like three seasons, it was just like, 
whenever it would air on a Tuesday, probably the next day, it was just like, everything was that. So, um, and then I also just remembered that when I was watching the OC again, the main character, Ryan Atwood, his favorite band is journey. And there's no way that they would have made his favorite band journey. If that show came out after glee, because glee made journey feel like mainstream and and cheesier again sort of so the last thing we'll say about this is that for better and worse intentionally and less so you know since glee premiered in 2009 it's it the show itself the cast production the fandom the media have all contributed to larger cultural conversations in a big way to name just a few and many of which we've talked about previously on this podcast, the weight of representation in media, the way whiteness operates and still dominates spaces that claim to celebrate diversity and inclusion, the complicated nature and exploitation of performative grief on TV, at award shows, on social media, questions around who gets empathy, and also like the more fun things like the concept of cringe scenes and bangers that still hold up and have even turned into these like iterative, this iterative art on TikTok. And it still has an influence on a scale and with a breadth that's rare, even for something so popular, even as we've retreated from a shared culture. Olivia Rodrigo is like, I've never watched the show, but I'm going to put it in a song because that seems like it's a good lyric, you know? So good to acknowledge that. But let's talk more about the shared culture in the long 2009 and what Hannah has called in a newsletter immediately pre-pandemic, the end of ubiquity. We're going to do that right after a quick break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. All right. So let's talk about this cohort of pop stars in the long 2009. So longevity as a true omnipresent pop star is really hard to come by because ubiquity is typically very fleeting. Um, As our go-to example, think of how singularly famous Britney Spears was in the late 1990s and 2000s. But all that changed in the late 2000s, right? It's much harder to say now, who is the Britney, who's the Madonna, who's the Michael Jackson, right? Around this time, we were introduced to, around this time in like uh, 2009, we were introduced to this unprecedented number of artists who we'd come to consider ubiquitous for a long time, for the next decade plus now. So why 
is the cohort of pop stars that came up around 2009, still so present and perhaps more influential than ever when they could have peaked back then on top 40 radio and kind of faded away. What enabled them to share the limelight and what gives them staying power? I don't know. It's probably a bunch of different things, but it's, you know, we have Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Adele, Lady Gaga, Kesha, Katy Perry, Justin Bieber, Beyonce, Drake, Miley Cyrus. We could go on and on. And all of them, although, you know, like Beyonce, for instance, predates this, but kind of came into a new version of what she was going to be as an artist going forward. All of them came up around this time or reached this new level. And it would have been normal for them to peak with a few hits and then go downhill. But all of them have continued on in the limelight with just like a million new ventures since then. So we also didn't mention all of the 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 Disney folks from this era, which it, that always does happen in different cycles. But we mentioned Miley, but like the Jonas Brothers, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, like that was the cohort at that time. True, true. Yes. Okay. Becky, I know you looked into like a few of these people just to kind of remind us what they were up to in 2009 because they've been famous for yeah. so long. Gladly. I'll glad you take a, we'll take a quick little detour to 2009 and let you know what a few of our favorite stars were up to. First, we have Katy Perry. Her star was rising. Her album, Just One of the Boys, was barely a year old. She released a live album titled MTV Unplugged with featured acoustic performances of five tracks from one of the boys, along with two new recordings of Brick by Brick and Hackensack. Also, she met Russell Brand that year at an MTA, MTV award show. And it was also in that weird brief period of time when she and Taylor Swift were best friends. And here's a timeline of some fun tweets uh, between Taylor and Katie pre-feud. In July 2009, in a now deleted tweet reported by People, Taylor Swift shares how much she loves Katy Perry's Waking Up in Vegas video so much that she wants to hang a poster of the I Kissed a Girl singer on her wall. Perry responds by extending an an invitation to write a song together about the subject we know best for an upcoming album. I don't know what that means. In August 2009, Katy Perry tweeted at Taylor, love you like a sis, love you like a sis, see you at the VMAs, baby girl. TS is an angel because it was in response to Taylor Swift tweeting, Katy Perry really puts the fun in Funden. And in September 2009. Sorry, is Funden supposed to be like London? Like what's Funden? It must have been the photo. We can't see it anymore. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that's nonsense, but love um, that for them. <laughs> yeah. And in September 2009, Katy defends Taylor after the VMA Kanye moment that we don't need to revisit. But it is interesting to know that that is, that Katie's one of her allies. In October 2009, Taylor wished Katie a happy birthday. So I thought that was a little fun detour to know what Katie was, Katie, the Katie Perry and Taylor's before, you know, their relationship gets into the bad blood territory. So that's what Katie was up to. Um, on a totally, completely different was Brianna. Um, Riri was deep into her career by this point. Her, her music career, she's not a Fenty, a Fenty billionaire just quite yet, but she was rapidly producing music which is something that we you know, get as much anymore. If you're listening, Rihanna, we would love some more albums just like you did in the early 2000s. Um, but 2009 was actually an extremely tough year for Rihanna. I'm going to do a trigger warning for this because it's very heavy and it deals with sexual and physical abuse. Um, 
In early 2009, Rihanna had to cancel her performance at the Grammys right after Chris Brown had physically assaulted her in a, in a car. And in an interview with Toxic Diane Sawyer, she recounts how she found out that she found out that Chris was texting another woman. So she confronted him and then he beat and hurt her. And in March, Chris would be arrested for that assault. Um, that feels to me like it was more recent than 2009. Um, but anyway, so she obviously was dealing with a lot of that trauma, but she did release the amazing banger run this town with Jay-Z and Kanye. And in November, she released her album rated R and it got incredible reviews and she didn't have any fun tweets. Literally everything she did in 2009 was promoting that album. And they, we also just like for another, another timeline moment um, that we were doing research on late earlier today. So that the moment with her and Chris Brown, when Chris Brown, like when we, and everyone was a part of this, the public element of that was really tough and hard to reckon with, but it meant that we all learned something about Chris Brown that we should have been able to like take in that information and act on it immediately. But so that was early. That was like February, February. Yeah. Yeah. That summer was when, um, the like wedding video with the song forever with a flash mob was everywhere. I remember loving this video, by the way, I loved it. And then the office parodied, parodied it later in 2009. So it's like, it is, it's, we just like, didn't people just didn't care. I know a lot of people did. So I don't mean to say we as in everyone, but but it's unbelievable at that summer people were like, you know, what song is very beautiful and romantic. This song called forever by Chris Brown. And I don't care about what I learned about him, like not three, four months ago. Yeah. People, I think people hate women. So yeah, like a universal all, feeling. <laughs> right. I don't want to overgeneralize, but, but it does feel sometimes like we all hate women because I do remember. And it's also like, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because it's one of those things where I think I remember my frame of mind then, but when you bring in these examples like this, I do remember being like, Oh, that's shocking and and horrible um, when the news broke in February, but then also loving that trend and that office episode and somehow like reconciling it very quickly in a way that I would not do now. And I don't think any of us would. So yeah, it is true that culturally we are, we are still on the path of hating women. Another woman that a lot of people hated in 2009 too is Miley Cyrus, um, our, our sweet baby Miley. And she really was just being Miley in 2009. She had extreme highs like recording and slaying the climb the soundtrack, uh, which features that signal single. It's the Hannah Montana movie went on to become her fourth entry to the top billboard 200 and age 16, she became the youngest artist artist in history to have four number one albums on the chart, which is incredible. And in 2009, she released party in the USA, though it was at the very end of 2009, which is, I think her most famous song to date still, she even performed for the queen of England and the British Royal Royal family back then. Like, she was really on a lot of highs, but it was not without a lot of lows for her in 2009. Um, in 2009, February, she took a photo mocking Asian people. And this is in a group photo. Miley with her boyfriend, Justin Gaston, Gaston Gaston, and several other people were seen slanting their eyes in a gesture typically made in mockery of Asian people. 
Many groups demanded an apology from her. At first, Cyrus was quick to dismiss them, arguing that she was just making a quote-unquote goofy face with her friends. And after a rejected first apology, she issued a second one, noting that she learned a quote-unquote valuable lesson. You can't see my eyes rolling, but but they are. Also in 2009 is when she did her quote-unquote strip tease at the VMAs, and which everyone freaked out about. And that should have been a sign to us that we were about to enter the bangers era of Miley Cyrus because that was nothing compared to what was to come for, for Miley. Um, Miley also deleted her Twitter in 2009, famously. I'm going to let Hannah explain the video, but just know that Miley's last tweet in 2009 was, FYI, Liam doesn't have a Twitter and he wants me to delete mine with good reason. Crazy. Um, yes, I'll be very brief because I want to talk about this forever, but we'll do that in the future. Miley came out with a YouTube video on her Miley Mandy channel, which is a channel on YouTube I was obsessed with, probably my first YouTube obsession ever with her and her friend uh, and backup dancer, Mandy. And anyway, it's called Goodbye Twitter. And it's this like rap about why she's leaving Twitter. And if we'll put you, it in if, the show notes. If, yeah, open up the description of this episode. It's there. It's still up. It's like, I love it. I know every word. If you know every word too, great. Let's talk. Um, yeah, it's about why she decided, like she she felt like she was being too controlled by the pressure to like, you know, put yourself out there on social media. It was actually a very like um, before her time, um, like condemnation of what social media does to a, per- a person's like way of living in the world that ended up being like very forward thinking. That's the word I was just about to use. And it wasn't content, at least that I remember now processing at the time. Um, but yeah, Hannah knows all the words. She can say them all. And um, now Miley is just arrowless because at this time she was like grappling with transitioning out of Disney and having whatever experience it is where you like put on a wig and people care about you and then you take it off and they don't. Now she just uh, doesn't have eras anymore. And she's like the only pop star or she does, but it, it doesn't matter. She can change them all the time. So the reason why we're talking about all this, aside from it being fun, is that this feels like the last cohort of maybe the first, like actually kind of major cohort. And then also the last cohort of omnipresent pop stars. Because the catalyst for fame and the scope of what fame looks like has grown so much and been saturated by like increasing accessibility to celebrities and social media and all the things that Miley said in those videos in 2009. Our attention collectively is just way more spread out between like all of the apps and everything. So it's hard to say for sure, but. I don't know. It just seems more likely than not, which is sort of what we've been talking about so far, that the younger pop names of today fade into obscurity. And now I think uh, before we move on, we'll return briefly to Hannah's newsletter published like four days before the pandemic began. So weird. I didn't remember that. Um, Yes. So many of you know the B-Sides had, I think, four seasons of a newsletter over email. Um, I hope we'll do it again soon. It was always very fun, but also a lot of work. So that's why I don't have any plans anytime soon. But anyway, this is something that was from that newsletter. 
We've reached the end of ubiquity in mainstream music with a more crowded field of artists and genres, more ways to listen and consume content than ever before, more reasons to dig deep into a niche rather than go with the crowd. Artists who in different eras might have created the baby one more times of their generation are pitching more to their genre than the mainstream. Yeah, there's like not that one song that everyone knows anymore. It's very hard to do. For sure. So the last kind of main thing we'll talk about, and I think we could talk about this forever, but we shouldn't. Um, so the the last thing we'll we'll get into is this idea of transforming technology, the influence of technology on finding artists and artists finding us and kind of the way that we consume their content. So this is a time when social media really started to become widespread and smartphone use became far more commonplace. And I remember this from my experience, but of course I needed to be validated by a source that I would never look to for validation, such as CNN money. (laughs) So this article projecting from 2009 into 2010 basically said like a fifth of people in the country have smartphones and by 2015 it should be like 80 percent and it was saying smartphones are very quickly becoming the center of our lives this will be in the show notes too in case you feel like reading a cnn money article it's not paywall what it's not not paywall that's nice and i mean that was my experience too like i didn't have a smartphone yet I got one late in 2010 and a lot of people had it by then. And it just, it really did change everything. Um, And I, I also think, you know, back in this period, the internet was still good and it wasn't totally monopolized and monetized by big tech because not everyone was on there yet. So algorithms existed, but like this increasingly interactive internet created this transitional moment in decentralizing content. And here we are today. I think the prime example of like finding artists from the internet is Justin Bieber. And you guys can let me know if you think of anyone else. But in terms of like A-list celebrities and the first pop stars to just be like lifted from the internet because he was posting home videos like a Crimea River cover on YouTube in the late 2000s, which was really cute. I think I'm going to share that here too. Um, And of course, Scooter Braun as he does, found this vulnerable, incredibly talented 13-year-old Justin Bieber on YouTube and has been his manager ever since. That's one example. I think there have been many since then. I don't know if you guys have any in mind or any. It could go, it goes all the way up to influencers, right? And people just kind of like talking at their cameras. Sean Mendez. It's <laughs> another example. Yeah. Who also at the time I remember was like, this is the next Justin Bieber, I think partly because it was like a guy who could like sing relatively high up with the guitar, but also because of like that he was, he came from the internet. He was, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't realize that was his background. Yeah. But he was too late to become as famous because it was why he had to date Camilla Cabello. Right. (laughs) So true. Um, And then in terms of artists finding us, so back to Justin Bieber for a moment, this biggest success of 2009. So his EP, My World, was a huge success. And he went from this obscure kid posting online to like just a household name and a cultural phenomenon with a huge interactive Twitter following of Beliebers. Do we remember that? Over the course of 
a year. I'm still basically. a believer. Are you? I have a soft spot for Justin. I do too, but I are his fans called anything else now, or is it still just believers? Oh, I don't know. I think that's forever. Yeah, I don't okay. think that. I don't think that goes away. That's that's that runs deep. So people basically find their way into our lives via the internet and radio is less important than it once was since you can easily curate your own playlists and stay in your own musical bubble or echo chamber. And I would say like the increased smartphone use kind of made 2009 that that moment, the long 2009. I think the last thing I want to make sure we touch on because I used to love award shows and we've talked about them before. We have an episode on the Grammys are just kind of the way those have changed a little bit. I think mostly like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the 2009 VMAs a little bit more. I do want to point out like one of my favorite award show anecdotes is that in the year 2000, back when award shows were huge and like millions and millions and millions and millions of people tuned in live and decades before that too, in 2000, Google Images was invented because people were trying to find JLo's 2000 Grammys Versace dress online. Everyone was like, what is that dress? And there was no image function, so they couldn't find it. So, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And there are a lot of similar stories of flashpoints and like cultural resets and new trends that took off at events like this since we had so little access to celebrities outside of these events. Did you guys know about um, J-Lo and Google, Im- how J-Lo invented Google Images? Didn't you say it on another podcast or did we talk about it? I think we I talked think about we it were like, yeah, like when we were prepping for the episode. Oh, okay. And no, I had not known I that. I hadn't heard it otherwise. I couldn't no. believe it. And I've now told like six people since. It's my new favorite fact. It's fun. But, um, you know, and something we've talked about in, in, our Grammys episode earlier this year is that we just don't pay attention to award shows on that scale anymore. And I think maybe 2009 was the beginning of the end of that era. Um, Now we kind of realize more and more how problematic they can be in the way that they reinforce power dynamics and like these new components we've talked about with social media changes the flow of that programming and divides our attention. I think it's like less, I'm less engaged now, I guess. Um, But I did see when I was doing some research, I saw what I thought was a great article from Vox, which will also go in the show notes from 2019 about the, the moment, the VMAs moment in 2009 that lives on forever where of course, Kanye interrupted Taylor's moment to say that Beyonce's single ladies is the best video of all time. Even though Beyonce went on to win bigger awards than Taylor that night. Um, so I think we can, we can just like quote that and sit on that a little bit as we, as we wrap up this episode. Yeah. So the article says the 2009 VMAs set one narrative. Kanye was a bully and Taylor his victim. But the 2010 VMAs laid the groundwork for the counter narrative that he would turn out some surprising endurance. Was Taylor Swift secretly being kind of manipulated with her response? And was America's enduring fascination with the whole thing maybe kind of racist? So like America is racist and Taylor Swift is the Riddler. 
that's something that has just grown over time. Quoting again, at first, what happened between Kanye West and Taylor Swift at the 2009 VMAs appeared to be a piece of pop culture ephemera, a juicy bit of gossip that would rapidly fade away. Instead, it has lived on to warp the image of both its major participants. Only Beyonce, goddess-like, escaped unscathed. But every time a new Kanye or Taylor scandal emerges, the VMA scandal seems to lurk in the background, bringing out the ugliest side of everyone involved. Quoting more, we seem to be endlessly fascinated by this moment in time, and we probably will be for as long as either Taylor Swift or Kanye West is famous. And that's because it tells us an enormous amount about why they are so famous. When we talk about celebrities, we are never just talking about celebrities. This is the thesis of our podcast. Celebrities are bodies onto whom we as a culture project our fantasies, our fears, and our dreams. Taylor Swift and Kanye West are as famous as they are in part because they are very good at letting us project different ideas onto them about white femininity and black masculinity, about celebrity that feels relatable and celebrity that feels aspirational, about whose voices we value and when and why. The 2009 VMAs were a moment in which all those ideas came screaming out at us. Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. And that's the thesis. I think it's hard to talk about 2019 Kanye. Yeah. And 2021 Kanye is much different than 2019 Kanye. Wait, nine or 19? No, 19 even. This article is written in 2019. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, yes. Yes, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yes. That's all. Kanye is the conversation for another day. His image is also rapidly change yeah. yeah you know what's a 2010 thing that i don't think is a part of the long 2009 is my beautiful dark twisted fantasy because i think that was not the start of a new era for everyone but certainly the start of a new era for kanye that was like not connected to the like i mean it's connected in that it was all linear but i guess what i'm trying to say is i love that album and i feel and it's actually continues to be a sadness in my life that i cannot i can no longer be a kanye fan <laughs> it's it's hard mm-hmm. I was saying to run this down today and I was like, damn, he's so good on this track. And it's, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. yeah, It's challenging. And that's something I've been listening to. Yeah. What a, what a, what a year. It was an important year. I'm glad we gave it its due. It was the end of a decade and the start of an age. And um, we've said that before and we'll say it again. Absolutely. We will. Happy new year. Happy new year. Best. Best of luck in what is rapidly turning into the long 2020. I know. It's so true. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but you know, we can we can stay hopeful. Why not? Mm -hmm. Let's close out with a segment we've been doing recently called What Are You Listening to? Becky, you're up. Um, it's a great song, Pod Shivers by Ed Sheeran. It's been out for a while, but it's a jam. And I recommend everyone get into it and start their new year off on the right foot. Nice. Do you have anything to say about the music video? Don't watch the music video. You won't, you'll enjoy the song slightly less. This may be true. I only watched the music video after Becky recommended the song, not the music video. And um, there's a yassified <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine involved, I which think I was surprised we'll, to see. We'll have to but, do an emergency episode on Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Um, and explain yaspication to anyone who doesn't know what that is. But something tells me that a lot of you know what that means. 
Ed unfortunately lays a little low. So I don't know like what emergency we would have to deal with about Ed Sheeran. He's like pee chill. Yeah, that's true. Um, Hannah, do you have anything to say about what you're listening to or, or not really? Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Little Mix because uh, RIP Little Mix the band, but I'm happy for Little Mix the women, the the Little Mix women. But so I've been um, enjoying a Little Mix walk down memory lane as they decided to end their time together as a band. Sad, but kind of predictable. Yeah. They didn't say end, they said pause. They did say pause, just like One Direction said. I know, that's, Hannah, what they, I know. that's what the group always say. say. I know. They're like hiatus. Um, yeah, that is so I do kind of I do kind of believe them. I actually I believe that they mean it. Um, and I that doesn't mean I believe it will happen, but I do believe mm-hmm. that they that they think it will. And so it would be awesome if it did. I hope it does. Totally. There's a real difference there. And I've been listening to Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I have been listening to more music from 2009 preparing for this episode. And I've also been listening to kind of a lot of random music, trying to put some playlists together. I've, I've remembered some of my favorite songs that I forgot about, like like the mid-tempo jam Born to Make You Happy by Britney Spears on her first album. Should we tell people what those playlists are? Yeah, go for it. We sent out some playlists for actually we're about to send out um, some playlists for our some of our Patreon supporters and also for some of the folks who uh, told us that we were one of their top five playlists of 2021 as a way of saying thank you. So we made a fun little Google form for people to tell us what kind of things they wanted in their playlist. And so if you were one of the people that filled out that form, you should be getting your playlist as a little holiday gift sometime very soon. I hope you love it. We've all put in our little, um, you know, tasted music is sprinkled in through those playlists from all three of us. We love you. Amen. So fun. And, uh, we will see you in the world on Patreon, on the other apps, some of which we've like sort of condemned here today, but are still using all the time. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. See you next season. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Facebook group where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. 